Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, facing occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Joshua Ankle. He is a libertarian with Students for Liberty. Judith Sherwin is a conservative attorney and a pro-Trump Republican, and later on will be joined by Democrat Mark Casello. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at AM560, The Answer. That's the Salem Station just outside Chicago. Nice to have you with us this evening. Phone lines open 1-800-723-8289. And uh, I want to share a little inside uh, politics with you right now is that uh, frequently, we always have a Democrat in studio, and we always have a Republican in studio. And we just, there may have been a mix-up tonight, because I thought I was going to present to you Alderman Raymond Lopez uh, from the 15th Ward in Chicago, who has been a frequent guest on this program. He now is running for Congress against Chewy Garcia uh, on the south side of Chicago. But again, um, I thought I had confirmed with him and he's not here yet, and he normally is, so if he shows up, he'll show up at some point during the program. But a Democratic perspective, longtime guest and frequent friend of our program, Mark Casello, who is a card-carrying Democrat, and I've seen the card he carries. He carries it very close to his heart. He will be with us in the second hour. So if you're out there and saying, where's the Democrat? Well, he will be here in the second hour, and who knows, we may even have two end up with two Democrats. But we have uh, Judith Sherwin. She sits right across from me. And also joining us right now is Joshua Akel. He is a libertarian and he is with Students for Liberty. He is making his maiden voyage on this program this evening. We've been offering a lot of opportunities in recent months to people that haven't been on before. He joins us uh, from beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. And Joshua, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for having me, Bruce. I appreciate it. I want to begin uh, with a question to Judith, but obviously Joshua can respond as well. Because Hunter Biden was charged with nine counts of tax evasion this past week by the United States Justice Department, headed by his father, in, you know, my question to you, Judith, does this erase all the Trump and all the Republican uh, whining about the indictment of him is really a witch hunt led by Democrats to embarrass him and that there is the, the, the Justice Department is not fair. Does this prove that the Justice Department is fair? Well, uh, thanks for asking that question. Like they say at congressional hearings, no, I do not. <laughs> I, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I took a page out of the book of the University of Pennsylvania president. Anyway, um, no, I, I, uh, I do not think it means, I think it's meant to mean that the Justice Department is being fair because yeah. look, we had nine counts against Hunter Biden right. for not paying his taxes. Well, first thing, Hunter Biden didn't pay his taxes. All right, that's rather clear from what we've seen from the okay. laptop and what we've seen from everything else. The charges against Donald Trump are completely, you'll pardon the expression, trumped up. And most of them are, are just, I mean, they're ridiculous. They're going nowhere, okay? So, um, no, I do not think that gets the, the Biden Justice Department off the hook. And I think, I think really, you know, look, if they convict him, which they likely will, his father is the president of the United States. You think he's not going to pardon him? 
So I, particularly if he doesn't run again, which I believe he will not. Okay. So I, I, uh, I don't think this gives him a pass. I really don't. And, um, I'm, I'm happy to see they indicted Hunter Biden because he should be indicted for okay. this particular uh, offense. You, you've given me uh, the answer of a pro-Trump Republican. Yes, I have. And I want to ask, because we don't have one on the panel as yet, uh, although Joshua may fit that bill, but I'd like to know out sure. there in Radioland whether or not there are people who are, let's say, casually involved in politics, maybe not as deeply involved in politics as everybody on the program this evening, who might be saying, you know what, this, you know, this, really, this really shows they are fair. Joshua, what's your answer uh, uh, to the question? Uh, yeah, so I'd like to preference, preface my statement by, you know, making making it clear this is not a partisan phenomenon. Like, this is not something we see just on the left or on the on the right. right. Uh, one of the things that frustrates me as a libertarian and somebody who kind of sits on the outside of both major parties is just the, just how rampant this is within within all the leaders. Um, you had you know Donald Trump leave the White House and uh, put his daughter in a White House advisory position, put his son-in-law in charge of Middle East foreign policy, and then see his son-in-law get a two billion dollar payment from the Saudis after he leaves office. Uh, so I mean, we talk about corruption. We talk about the fact that our leaders are using their connections to enrich themselves and enrich their families. That's something that's I see on the left. I see on the right. Uh, and I, I agree with with what I heard earlier. I, I think we should investigate Hunter Biden to the end. And if he's broken the law, he should be held accountable. And uh, I think the same should be said for you know any others that we see on the other side of the aisle. But the fact that he is indicted, I mean, isn't isn't that a retort that Democrats can come back with when they're in a you know a, a conversation with someone that says, well, the Democrats, you know, they're out there, they're just looking for Republicans to indict. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, you know, obviously, I, I think the charges are are very much different between uh, one and the other. But I have to tell you that I think it's uh, um, uh, it's it's it, to me it's obvious, and and I'm a political animal. To me, this is a good example, a good answer for Republicans to have when they're challenged by Democrats and a good question for a good answer for Democrats to have. I mean, you know, if he's convicted, and we're talking about Hunter Biden now, he could get 17 years in prison. And a presidential pardon. And he'll never serve a day. that, That we don't know. We certainly suspect. But 17 years in prison is no light sentence. No, it's no and again, what, what what would the reaction be? This, now we get to another question. What would the reaction be if he pardoned his son? Or what would the reaction be if Donald Trump pardoned himself? Or well, his yeah. vice president pardons him or somebody pardons him? Well, first of all, you know, this whole issue about being able to pardon yourself, um, I, you know, we haven't gotten into introductions yet, but I, I am a lawyer and I right, you do are. not think— my opinion that the president could pardon himself. Okay, he can pardon anybody else in the world that he would like to pardon of federal crimes. Okay, but I do not believe he can pardon himself. Okay, so you know we may come to that somewhere down the road. I don't know, but um, with respect to to Hunter Biden, I mean, it's the the man is is a nightmare for his father quite quite clearly. Um, clearly, based on the evidence we've seen from his own laptop, 
he was evading taxes. He was getting huge sums of money. He never paid those taxes. Even to this day, most of them haven't been paid. Some of them were paid by his lawyer uh, in California. Okay. But All right. We have to pause right now. Sure. 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. We'll be back shortly. Don't go away. tell you about the incredible success we bring to local businesses, but it's better when it comes directly from our satisfied clients. Here's just one example. After searching for a new vendor to handle my search marketing campaign, I contacted Salem Surround after seeing the great work they did for another restoration company in the different market. Their team of experts recommended a mix of multiple tactics designed to get my business the most quality leads at the lowest cost, making my marketing budget stretch further. In our first year partnering with Salem Surround, we recorded our best year to date, and I've told many people how blessed I was to find them. Their representative answered the phone every time I called and quickly addressed any questions or concerns I had. Let Salem Surround give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and show you what your competition is doing. Then we can come up with a personalized plan that's perfect for your needs. Visit SurroundChicago.com and let our marketing experts help you achieve real success. Remember to visit SurroundChicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid, My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit TalkAboutVaping.org. That's TalkAboutVaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council.
Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, I'm going to go to Joshua. Uh, Joshua, uh, as, as you look at the reasons why you are a libertarian, are there certain things in one party that you agree with more than the other? And, and what are some of those issues? Where, where, where does the libertarian split between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party? Uh, you know, that's a good question, Bruce. Um, it, it, I, I would like to say, I think I said this before the show started, I think we find common ground with both Republicans and Democrats almost half the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, at least historically, I've liked about the Republican Party, although they've seemed to abandon these principles in the last couple of years, is their commitment to limited government and free trade, at least in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in how they speak about or think about uh, governance. Uh, you know, limited governments, lower taxes and embrace of, uh, you know, breaking down trade barriers, although it seems to have changed a lot since 2016. Uh, one of the things I think where libertarians depart from uh, their, their partnerships with the right come when we start talking about immigration. I mean, libertarians are, are pretty, uh, you know, uh, liberal in the sense that they believe that people should be free to move unmolested and unrestricted. Uh, and I know a lot of people, uh, specifically in the Republican Party uh, and within kind of the MAGA wing, take, take issue with that. We see it as kind of an issue of, of individual freedom. You know, if you want to be able to go build a better life for yourself, be able to work and you're willing to, uh, to do that, we should, you know, we should, we should allow people to have that freedom. Um, and that's and know, that's and that's worldwide. You believe that people should have freedom regardless of where they live in the world, and if they want to come to the United States, um, there there's no paperwork. They just walk in and and and, and become I, you citizens. Know, I think there, or that's a good question. Live here? I think there needs to be controls. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be the, the the understanding of who's coming over the border, when and where, right? Like, I think that makes logical sense from a, a from a systematic point of view. But I don't think uh, that we should be, you know, severely limiting uh, immigration, blocking people from entering, building walls. I think that, the, you know, the way you improve and build society is you, uh, you know, like one of the things actually the Cato Institute put out an interesting study. It was one of the things that I, I thought was very interesting is that uh, the narrative that, say, immigrants take more out of the economy than they put in is is not is not is a, is a myth. Um, immigrants overall, when you look at the amount of taxes they pay, even illegal immigrants are paying more into the system than they're taking out in benefits. And uh, you know, immigrants built this country, right? Like, so uh, the ability for people to come here, uh, understand, realize the American dream, and build a better life for themselves and their families, the fuel that I think made America great and made, has made America great since its founding. Uh, so you know, I, I do. But then those in the in the past, just on that particular point. Didn't those in the past who came to this country from other countries, did they not come in legally? Did they not fill out paperwork that, 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 that held the test of legality at the time? And then they became members of society. Many of them became Americans. They became the workers that, 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 whose productivity pays taxes. I totally agree with yeah. that. And I would say that the vast majority of immigrants would fit under that uh, definition. But how do you compare those that did it that way from those that are currently doing it this way, who come to the United States illegally and they end up in a hotel off Michigan Avenue in Chicago? Yeah, Or in the park in in a tent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead, Joshua. 
one of the things systematically I think that causes illegal immigration to be such a problem is that how convoluted our immigration system is. So, you know, I, one of the reasons why I think we have such a problem with illegal immigration is because the process of, say, coming over the border and then starting to pay taxes and, you know, making that happen is very difficult and yes, very it challenging. Is. It's a multi-year, extremely it's expensive It's a real process. bad idea. But, yeah, it is. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't think we should celebrate or enable or, or, or make illegal immigration something that we, we allow, right? We should enforce our laws. The rule of law is extremely important. But I think that we have to take a step back and look at incentives. Why is illegal immigration a problem? Uh, you know, the issue is that our system is extremely convoluted, extremely restrictive, extremely expensive. And so if, uh, you know, if we really want to fix the illegal immigration problem, the way we do it is fix fix our system, make it easier to navigate. Okay. And if somebody wants to come in and pay taxes, make let's let, let's let let's let Judith respond because I, the, the latter part of that, I would totally agree with, but Judith, you've been listening. You've been uh, clenching your teeth as I was <laughs> yes, I those am. listening on radio. I mean, you know, we have an immigration system. There's no question that is, that it's complicated. It's not convoluted. It's complicated. You can come to the United States on a visa. There are rules for how you do that. You can come to the United States if you want to be an immigrant. There are rules for how to do that. Um, there are a number of rules, and none of them are being followed at all. Right now, we have a completely open border, okay, and that is not helpful to the United States. This myth about how immigrants, because you like to, people like to convolute or, or conflate legal immigrants with illegal immigrants. And that is, is really um, intellectually dishonest, okay? The illegal immigrants coming into this country are not doing anything for the American economy. They're coming in here. They're looking for green, for, they're looking for cell phones. They're looking for, I mean, none of them really look like they're particularly uh, oppressed, actually, as they come across the border. They all seem to have cell phones. They all seem to have a number of things that the rest of us have here in the United States. So, I, you know, they're coming here because they are being lured here by the Democratic Party in order to, well, there's this, this uh, great replacement theory that people think is somehow racist. It's not racist. The Democratic but Party but would like the, to have more voters that they can count on. But if, and they but believe if, these people will do but it. But if... But if the system of processing illegal immigrants or immigrants who want to come to the country, if that was more efficient and the government does not make it efficient. Well, the government the doesn't make anything efficient. But my, my, but my point is yeah. that that leads to the frustration that makes people say we've got to find another way around it because they don't have right. necessarily three or five or seven years to go through a process. It seems to me that you don't have enough people at the border, and I think they should be at the border. In fact, really, I believe they should be in the country of origin where those people can be processed. And it may mean that we need 10,000, 20,000 more judges for, for, and I certainly believe that we need we, yeah. we need the police officers, but I think the you know before the before the hiring more people for the border patrol, which I totally agree with, right. I think the greater need might be for twice that number of people 
who will adjudicate a case on the spot. So they don't wait three to five years. Well, we don't have to wait for them to come back for some the, for, to meet with all, a judge. First of all, I mean, there is a system for asylum, okay, and for people claiming asylum. Nobody can adjudicate it on the spot. I mean, that's that's a pipe dream. It's it's a question of a legal proceeding. It's making a legal claim, and you have to prove it, and you have to prove it to a judge. Do I think we need more judges? Absolutely. Do I think we need more Border Patrol? Absolutely. But but to say, you know, well, it's not fast enough, and we need to have all these people. Do you really think the people coming up from South America right now, or even coming across from Canada, which yes. is starting to be a problem. Right. Do you think they've even considered going through a legal process? You know they haven't. They're getting well, urged to come Well, I think some have. Some across. have, I think. We'll go to Josh, and then we'll be back to you. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, no, I, I think if they were given the opportunity to go through a legal process, they would. I mean, I think it is, I think we have to take a step back and stop, uh, you know, living in kind of a fantasy world of, oh, if we if we just had a, enough walls, for example, we would, uh, you know, fix this problem. There's 2,000 miles of border there, right? Um, and that's not even including, as, as you mentioned, the, the border on the northern side of the country. Um, I, it, it's really a conversation of incentives. If somebody wants to get across the border, if their life is threatened, if they want, if they have a reason, they will find a way to do so. And so I think the way we, if we want to fix some of the challenges that I think Judith truly does recognize here, which is we don't need a lot of people that are uh, here illegally, that are not, we're not able to track or keep tabs on, or at least understand, or at least move towards naturalization. If that's the case, then we need to fix the incentive. So we need to make it easier for people to become, to get legal status when they come into the country. And, and then you can kind of understand where they are, what they're doing, how they're contributing, if they if they aren't contributing, whether they are criminals, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, you know, that's the way that I look at it. It's less about an ideal state. It's more about, hey, there are people that want to make it to this country. And I think the best way for us to make sure that we, we have security, economic growth, and that those people are able to get, you know, we're able to keep tabs on them is to make the system simpler. I mean, there's 10 well, million. Well, let me, let me ask you this question, though, because, Joshua, it, it seems to me that, you know, you're, you're defending your position well this evening. But I think it it, 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 it doesn't meet the test. Is, is that the popular mood of the country at the moment? Wouldn't you acknowledge that the, the popular mood of the country now is we've got too much. The border is too wide open. Jobs are being taken. They're coming to the streets and we're not ready for them. And that we, we, we feel like many feel like we've been invaded by people from another country. And now that that's that's sort of that's the way I interpret what the body politic is, right. that which is completely opposite from the position you're articulating. Well, I, I think that, Judith, I want to let you chime in just to okay, answer Bruce's question, you. though. I yeah. do think that that is definitely the, the prevailing narrative I see in the Republican Party right now. But I think writ large, like in the entire electorate, the Republican Party represents a fringe minority of the electorate. I mean, they're a minority within a minority, right? Like they're, they're a vast majority of the people of the country are not voting or engaging in the system because they've lost hope. So I don't know if it if it's representative of the entire country. I think it is representative of one of the two parties. And right now that party is in the minority. So I I don't, I don't know if I would characterize it as a majority opinion. Uh, well, you know, okay. I, this is not just the Republican opinion. I think you understand that. We, we, I mean, we, we do have to break a little music coming in. Our orchestra is uh, warming up and uh, they're testing their uh, bows and arrows at the moment. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8289. If you're looking for a Democrat tonight, uh, didn't show up for hour number one, but we will have a Democrat alive and well with his card ready to show you in hour number two. Don't go away.
This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. We think there's about eight hostages that are Americans, John Kirby told ABC's George Stephanopoulos this week. Two weeks earlier, Biden claimed that his brokering of the hostages for prisoners deal with Israel showed focus on the safety of Americans. Biden also claimed that the four-day pause showed his determination to bring Americans home. In eight days of exchanges, however, only one American got released. Despite brokering the deal, it never included any guarantees that the nine Americans would be released unharmed, nor did it require Hamas to allow Red Cross access to Americans they kidnapped. At the same time, Biden and his team neglected to arrange for the exit of over a thousand Americans from Gaza. Kirby now wants Israel to enter another pause to get the rest of the Americans out. We should be asking why Biden didn't arrange for that in the first set of exchanges, and why Biden and his team have made a habit of abandoning Americans to terrorist groups, first in Afghanistan and now in Gaza. I'm Ed Morrissey. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy for those considering careers in politics and policy. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Matthew. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. From coast to coast and border to border and around the world, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway every Sunday night uh, right here at this favorite radio station of yours. Or if you're listening and watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you may want to call and let us know where you hear this program. It would be nice to hear from you. I'm sure we've got some people living in the eastern time zone this evening that would like to join in. 1-800-723-8289. Take a moment now. We'll let each of our guests introduce themselves, and we will begin with... The lady right across the microphone from me, Judith Sherwin. Judith, tell us everybody who you are. Okay, so my name is Judy Sherwin. I am an attorney in Chicago with the firm of Ehrenberg Goldgain. Uh, I also teach at Loyola University in the law school. 
I've taught courses in constitutional law, business ethics, legal ethics, um, and uh, in various aspects of healthcare, which is where I predominantly practice. And I like to come on this show every once in a while and, and talk about And politics offer your opinion. And offer my opinion. Here is my question to you, because you've been identified on this program as a Trump supporter for a long time. True. In your sphere of influence, in your daily life, in your professional life, in your academic life, how does that moniker bear with other people who interact with you? Hmm, I don't know. Um, you know, um, sometimes we refer to it as a secret handshake, you know. Yeah. kind of wait to see how other people are thinking about things and thinking about issues. I mean, immigration, which we've just been talking about, is one of them. Uh, what to do about the weaponization of government, what's what's going on with the Justice Department. I mean, um, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult line to walk. Um, there are a number of people uh, that I work with on a daily basis mm -hmm. who do not agree with me politically, and that's fine. You know, this have is Have you America. been ostracized socially? Have you been ostracized? I have lost some friends. Mm -hmm. I, I've lost some friends or people who I thought were friends. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember I had a, a very good friend who I used to communicate with a lot on Facebook, but also in person, who sent me a message on Facebook and said, what happened to you? Well, the truth is, as far as I'm concerned, nothing happened to me. Um, the world has moved in a very curious direction, and I'm not particularly happy with the direction that it's moved in. Okay. Um, and so... Um, yeah, it's, it's, I have definitely lost friends because of this, but, yeah. um, I believe that the future of the country depends on how we resolve the issues we have in front of us, particularly those that revolve around Donald Trump and the persecution of him okay. because he's running for president. Let's go to Joshua Ankel. Uh, who joins us yeah. tonight? Uh, you're a libertarian. Uh, there's a, you, you you carry a lot of cards <laughs> because you are uh, involved in a lot of different uh, activities. Uh, Joshua, tell us a little bit about your background, how you became a libertarian, and uh, where you're from, and all of that stuff. Yeah, sure. So I'm from. I currently live right now with my two sons and my wife in in Nashville, Tennessee. Originally, I'm from Indianapolis, so a little bit closer to your neck of the woods, Bruce. Uh -huh. um, I've been involved in uh, libertarian or classical liberal activism for about 10 years. I uh, you know, had a stint where I worked for Congressman Justin Amash when he ran for president of the Libertarian Party. Mm -hmm. I have been a state chair in the Libertarian Party, and I've done Libertarian Party partisan activism for uh, near a decade. Right now, my, my day job is uh, I run communications for an uh, international organization <clears throat> called Students for Liberty, which is the largest pro-liberty student group in the world, and we have students in every inhabited continent fighting for uh, classical liberal ideas and values, um, you know, in places as remote as rural Africa uh, to major urban centers around the world. So it's a very interesting job. And uh, yeah, and I think as we mentioned before the, the show started, I, I just recently started a, a PAC called Project Liberal, which is focuses on trying to find a home for people who have classical liberal values or libertarian values. And so, um, yeah, that, that's the that's the 10,000 foot view. For uh, same question to you. Uh, you know, when you, when you mentioned uh, that you're a libertarian to people who or not necessarily within your immediate uh, uh, family and friends who, who may, maybe have heard you say that for 20 years. Uh, do they raise their eyebrows? Do they say, what, 
Why are you wasting your time on that? I, I think the value for me is uh, the word libertarian and, and even the word classical liberal is not necessarily a, a term that a lot of people immediately know. So whereas Judith might have to deal with a baggage or a Democrat might have to deal with a baggage of, uh, you know, hey, if everybody's got an immediate reaction, right, when they hear what you're, how you describe yourself for me, it's typically uh, inspires conversation and we can kind of explore where we overlap and where we don't. So I will say uh, it, it's maybe a little bit of advantage in that way, Bruce, because it allows me to have those types of conversations and explore the nuance of what libertarianism means when it's applied to reality. And so for that, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. But, you know, if we do our job and we spread these ideas far and wide, that may not be the case when I'm older, but at least that's how it feels now. Mm -hmm. Also, a uh, question to Students for Liberty. Obviously, uh, uh, the, the nation and the news media has been focused on uh, many students in the United States uh, who have uh, gone to the streets, gone to their campuses in opposition to U.S. policy and Israeli policy in the wake of the Hamas attack on October 7th. And a lot of people are very upset about it. Uh, they're upset with the universities that have allowed these demonstrations to take place. Uh, they are students. How do you reach them? Do they believe that That's they it. are? Do they believe that they are students of liberty, Josh? You know, that's a that's a great question. I will say that we we've spent a lot of time internally talking about this unprecedented rise of anti-Semitism that we've seen on college campuses and, and the, the whole uh, ordeal that happened last week around these free speech codes and all those viral clips uh, related to uh, I think it was a Penn University's uh, professor's statements on mm -hmm. how they enforce speech related to uh, pro-Palestinian uh, statements, uh, and in, in some cases, uh, students calling for violence against Jews. Um, you know, one of the things that we we feel very strongly is, uh, you know, we believe in free speech, um, but we also, I mean, <clears throat> we, we we see the rise of anti-Semitism on U.S. college campuses, and it's it's an absolutely concerning uh, concerning development. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would say that, put it put it as simple as that, Bruce. It's it's a really scary and challenging time. In, Why in is the it happening? Why, I, I want to hear from you, and then I also want to hear from Judith. Why do you think there is a rise in anti-Semitism on American college campuses and campuses all over the world? You know, I feel like, at least in the United States, the left has done a very good job of speaking to young people on this issue and getting this and, and getting ahead of it. Uh, so one of the things that I think I heard, and I can't remember whether it was Nikki Haley or, or one of the two, one of the two or three um, individuals on the Republican debate stage talking about blaming TikTok, right? Um, that's the equivalent of blaming a newspaper for giving you an opinion you don't like, or blaming Twitter or blaming Facebook because the people that are on Facebook are getting opinions you don't like. The problem I think right now is that the left is doing a much better job of speaking to young people and getting ahead of these narratives and establishing narratives that I think in many cases, and I think Judith and I agree on this, are false uh, around uh, you know Israel's uh, role in in a lot of the violence that we're seeing. So I think that you know the way that I look at that as somebody who's in communications is that I take that as a challenge. I think we have to do a better job of reaching young people with truthful narratives and, and kind of giving them the complete picture. And I think that is on um, you know anyone that kind of finds themselves uh, on the side of on the side of you know fighting barbarism in this case. Uh, they, we need to do a better job of basically studying those narratives in front of young people. Judith, sure. One, my question to you is, and uh, it's been a while since you've been on this program. Uh, talking specifically about this issue, but why, in your opinion, is anti-Semitism on the rise? Well, um, I, I would agree with uh, Joshua that uh, the left 
has bought into the whole Palestinian liberation um, narrative. Um, and I, I'd like to point out that truthful narrative is really an oxymoron. Narrative is a story that you make up about some position that you want to take, and it's not necessarily true, and that is particularly uh, true when we discuss the whole Palestinian narrative. Um, the, the universities, as was really, unfortunately, terribly on display this past week, um, headed by people like the three, excuse me, harpies that we saw at the, at the congressional hearing who couldn't, um, who couldn't condemn anti-Semitism, who couldn't condemn calling for genocide against Jews uh, because they were afraid that they were going to upset one of their constituencies, you know, in the DEI world. I mean, this has got to stop. This is a very, very dangerous situation. It's dangerous all over the country. And when this kind of narrative you'll pardon the word, gets, gets moving. It's very dangerous for Jews. Um, the, the immediate but they will, but, they will say, but they will say that this is free speech. No, it's and not. It's no, it's let not. Me, let, me just, let me just tell you what they say, and then you tell me. Okay. They, okay. They, they say that this is free speech, and free speech includes speech that a lot of people don't like. And that's what free speech is. It's easy to accept free speech if everybody agrees with it. No, I, I agree with you on that. If free speech is to listen to, you know, you, it's people mm -hmm. you don't like, okay? Right. It allowed the Nazis to march in Skokie, which, which I don't necessarily agree with. But there is something called fighting words. Fighting words is something that creates something that is not free speech. It is, it is speech that can be stopped by the government. And what you have going on on college campuses is this kind of speech is leading to violence against Jews. If all they want to do is talk about it, that's fine. But they are not just talking about it. It has led to violence against Jews. It has led to riots, that uh, protests that have turned into riots. And it is not something that is free speech. Free speech has its limits, not the limits that perhaps Twitter and Facebook would like, but it does have some limits. Fighting words is not part of free speech. Okay, we've got to pause right now. Those listening around the country, if you have questions or comments about that statement or anything said thus far, 1-800-723-8029. 1-800-723-8029. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're looking outside of big corporate control. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something worth watching. The new Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. SNC is home to Dennis Prager, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Watch anytime on any screen, free 24-7. Find what you're looking for at snc.tv. You're smart, you're busy, and don't have time to waste on the mainstream media cycle. Salem News Channel breaks that cycle. Topics that matter from hosts worth watching. Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. Salem News Channel, not like the other guys. Watch anytime on any screen, free, 24-7. Find everything you need to know at snc.tv. That's snc.tv.
why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our discussion, and uh, we do have a phone call from San Diego, California. It's Joy. She's a frequent guest on this program via phone. And, uh, Joy, go ahead. I understand you had a recent trip to Guatemala. Well, I've been to Guatemala four times, um, actually, with my church. Oh, sorry about that. That's my dog. Um, actually, with my church in Spokane, Washington. And... Um, I just went, went, wanted to disagree with Judith about um, kind of the current immigrants. Um, in Guatemala, they um, came, tried to come in through legally. They tried to come in on work visas. Um, and they also, especially the indigenous folks, um, they we're going to starve or be in very violent situations. Um, and so they felt the only answer was to immigrate, but, but they have a new president who's supposed to be going into office in January. Mm -hmm. And so they are looking to um, having a better situation, but they think that he may not be installed. And so they've had now weeks, maybe even a couple of months of protests by indigenous community. And it's been peaceful, but recently the government has been um, making steps against those who are protesting. Um, so I think, I think there's multiple reasons why people come. And 
Well, I think I don't think I don't think there would be an, I don't think anybody would out. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I mean, uh, there, there, there's reasons why people view that there's persecution, there's violence, and I guess a question that 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 I would ask, and I think maybe maybe speaking for uh, you know tens of thousands, maybe millions of people who live in the United States who live in violent neighborhoods whose neighborhoods are controlled by gangs. How does right. that how does that differ from those from let's say Central America, not necessarily Guatemala, but other Central American countries where that's their that's their major concern. They're concerned about gang violence. And and gang violence exists in the United States. So, you know, is it do we make it better if we make it easy for them to come here? Because again, how how many is how many is too many? I mean, you know, uh, Joshua was basically saying, you know, basically we could accept anyone. Joshua, am I misstating? I mean, do, you, do it, it's your no, belief I, that anybody should be able to come here? Correct. I think that yeah. I mean, I think if you want to come here and contribute, you should be able to. And I think as That's we mentioned, a big you, point. you know, contribute, can... come here and contribute. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, many but not but, come but, here. Not come but, here and live in the park. Okay. Not come here and take handouts and unfortunately be begging in the streets. That's not helping them. Not to mention, if they're not safe in Guatemala, there's a bunch of countries between us and Guatemala where they could be safe. They don't but have that, to that come was, here I, to be safe. Well, that was one of the questions well, that I, I wanted to ask. One, one second. Let's go to let's go to Joy first. Joy, Joy, do you are you still there? Well, yeah, and you know I. I don't know about other countries, but I know in Guatemala, I'm particularly talking about the indigenous community. Okay. And it, it, it's very hard for them to make a living. And, it's, and there is violence by the government against them. And so I think they probably would find that in other countries coming in. You don't know but that. But, won't, but, won't, know but that. Won't, they, won't they find but that I, in the United States? I mean, how much is no, too much? But they want to stay in their own countries. That's my right. Well, yeah, I agree. We agree with that. Let them stay. But they're so they're so corrupt that and the indigenous populations especially have been discriminated against so much Mm -hmm. that they really are often making a choice that they'll that they'll they're protecting their their families. But I think they do want to stay there. So I guess my question is, is how best can our government help? these more democratic or the the less corrupt leaders help support those being well, in we leadership. We have programs where U.S. foreign aid is, is sent to Central and South American countries. Uh, allegedly, it's being watched on. Uh, hopefully, it's not being used by corrupt governments. But if you want to help the indigenous people, in most cases, you have to start with some sort of a government program that exists in that country. And in many cases, that government program is corrupt. So you're, you, you're, yeah. you, you, you may be well-intentioned, uh, but again, the, the, uh, 
That's not just, the solution. That, that, that necessarily isn't the solution. Joy, we're going to have to say farewell to you. Thank you for sharing your story of Guatemala with us. But I want to get back to uh, okay. uh, the topic that we were talking about, and that is, uh, you know, what, what can be done. Because you, you made a point, Judith, during the break, uh, that anti-Semitism continues to grow. It's not going away. No. Why is it not going away? Well, first, you know, anti-Semitism is, is this old, miserable uh, disease that has just never gone away. It's always kind of lurking under the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, with respect to Israel, all these people who tell you, oh, we're not anti-Semitic, we're anti-Zionist. There is no difference, all right? If you listen to how they talk about Israel and you listen to the things that they say, it's, it's right out of the playbook of anti-Semitism that has existed from time immemorial, all right? It's, it's absolutely the same stuff. Uh, the, the New York Times, if you remember, a few years ago had a, a cartoon, the New York Times, of, of, um, of Netanyahu being um, a, a person who was dragging the United States around on a leash like a dog because he was, you know, he was so powerful and all powerful mm-hmm. and the Jews control everything. In the New York Times, something like that. We have to pause. Uh, we'll continue with you. We'll continue with Joshua Herkel, who joins us, uh, Akel rather, who joins us from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and will next be joined by a real live Democrat. Mark Casella will join us uh, via Zoom when we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. We think there's about eight hostages that are Americans, John Kirby told ABC's George Stephanopoulos this week. Two weeks earlier, Biden claimed that his brokering of the hostages for prisoners deal with Israel. And now, coming into pitch for the Democrats, Number 42, Mark Casello. <laughs> Mark Casello, hey, thanks Bruce. for joining us tonight. We had Good. problems finding Good. our Ray, Lopo- Ray Lopez, our Democrat, for the first hour. And uh, you quickly answered your phone. And uh, you're always willing to talk about progressive politics. We have a conservative. We have a libertarian. So we've got it all covered. So my question to you is, in the latter part of the first hour... Uh, we were talking about anti-Semitism. You are a college professor, so you were dealing with students all the time. And uh, Joshua Ankel, who's with us, he is a libertarian. He's with a group called Students for Liberty. And my question to you is, of your students, some of whom I assume might have gone out to demonstrate on the Hamas-Israeli war, uh they all view themselves as doing something patriotic, but do you agree that they understand the use of the term liberty? Do they know what they're really protesting for or against? Yeah, I I wouldn't underestimate the intelligence of the students um, that are out there protesting. So, yeah, I, I do think they 
they have a pretty solid grasp and think through, you know, multiple sides of the issue. Um, you know, we have a conflict here that uh, in some ways uh, for a student population, you know, probably harkens back to the Vietnam War protests in some ways. They might see themselves as speaking out, you know, truth truth to power and, and trying to speak out for uh, people whose voices are underrepresented. It doesn't condone anti-Semitic behavior that's been, you know, depicted and, and uh, seen throughout the country. But uh, I think the students are a little more nuanced and sophisticated than we might give them credit for. Can you oppose the Israeli government without being called anti-Semitic? Judith Sherwin. Sure you can. Okay. I mean, tell, tell me, give, I mean, give, me, give me a little, is, let's, let's role play. What, how do you say that without being labeled an anti-Semite? I mean that's that's a, that's a very difficult question. Well, right? thank you. I'm I mean, paid the, that's why I'm paid the big bucks. That's the hard questions. I mean, it's the problem is it's not it's not a fair question, right? If if uh, if you talk about um, the Israeli government in a way that uh, just you know you're criticized their policies, you criticize Netanyahu because you think he's. Uh, He's corrupt, which a lot of people in Israel do. Um, if you if you criticize how they deal with with various international issues, it's fine. There's no problem. the The question of the Palestinians, okay, is is a question that has just been skewered and and misconstrued and put out there in an absolutely ridiculous narrative. I mean, the Israelis have offered peace in my lifetime, at least five times. The last time, they practically wanted to give up most of Jerusalem. They, they offered all kinds of concessions with respect to land and various other issues, and they're constantly giving money to the Palestinians. How do you think they survive? They get money from Israel to survive, all right? Is that the key piece of history that these students who are out there protesting don't understand. Absolutely. That's, that is one of the many keys. I mean, you know, they run around and they say, from, from the river to the sea, Palestine should be free. Well, that's very nice. It's got a nice half rhyme to them, it. It's got a nice rhyme to them. Half of, the, half of them don't know which river, they don't know which sea, and they don't understand what that means. From the river to the sea means from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River that it should be Judenrein. No Jews, only Palestinians. Now, how do they expect that's going to happen? Okay. It's, 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 it's a complete misunderstanding, and, and it's a narrative. Again, I'm using that word in the sense that it's a false narrative. It's a false story that has been put out there. It, 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 was, it was convenient for the Arab countries when, when they attacked Israel in 1948 and they lost. It was convenient to keep the Palestinians as this downtrodden, terrible situation. They kept them in refugee camps. They kept them from having any kind of a life. It wasn't Israel who <clears throat> were doing that. The Israelis didn't throw them out. They mm -hmm. left voluntarily because the Arabs told them, we are going to throw the Jews into the sea, and then you can come back 
and the land will be free. Okay. Okay. Didn't work out that way. I want to go to Joshua and find out foreign policy. When it comes to foreign policy, U.S. foreign policy, Joshua, uh, where do the libertarians, where do you come down on the U.S. role in world affairs? What should we be involved in and what should we keep our nose out of? You know, at least personally, somebody who looks at this from a more classical liberal perspective, I think the the U.S. government should basically embrace trade with all, war with none. I think that does make sense that we need to have, uh, you know, uh, open globalist, globalized world in the sense that we're breaking down trade barriers between countries in order to create economic prosperity for everyone. Um, I do think in some cases it makes sense for the U.S., to uh, to to be involved in in uh, you know uh, defensive treaties like the North American like NATO um, or North uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, basically ensuring that we have defensive alliances. That's a controversial statement within many libertarians, and a lot of us are torn on that issue. But I personally fall on the side of, uh, you know, I think it makes sense for the U.S. to basically provide defense, at least you know, in a response to aggression. Um, but I think first and foremost, where you're going to hear the libertarian perspective on this one is going to be centered around free trade. And breaking down those trade barriers in order to make sure you're you're incentivizing prosperity. Does that mean does that mean that if China decides to invade Taiwan, that the United States should send troops to fight that battle? I, you know, I don't think so. Um, I think that that's going to be up to the American people to make that decision. If well, the you're American a libertarian, I want I want to hear your thought on this because this this is you know when we look at the future of this program in this country i mean this is an issue that we may have to discuss at some point you're young man 30 years old i mean how do you feel about that you think the american people is ready for it i i don't i mean one of the things that i think there is an argument to be made that there is a strategic advantage to defending taiwan i think that you could make that argument um as a libertarian the hardline libertarian approach especially from the perspective of the party is that the american american troops should not be dying overseas for foreign wars especially when Mm -hmm. they are not in american interests Mm -hmm. but one of the things uh you know if you want to unpack the nuance around the taiwanese situation there is a strategic interest in the united states i do not personally think uh, at this moment, the U.S. should be engaged in a nuclear conflict with China over Taiwan. I don't know if that's necessarily in the best interest of the United States. I don't think many libertarians would like to see that. Um, but that's a very nuanced situation um, that would be very difficult to unpack. I want to find uh, out whether there are Democrats, and specifically Mark Casello, how he feels about that. And also get back to Judy Sherwin. 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we're going to be talking about world affairs, foreign policy, specifically a question that... Uh, I think uh, we're going to have to deal with sometime in the next uh, five or ten years, and that is, if China invades Taiwan, what do we do as a nation? Do we sit by or do we send troops back shortly? As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today. 
in the new movie by Dinesh D'Souza. Police state exposes how the government is targeting their political opponents, our society, and our freedom. FBI, we have an arrest warrant. 15 marked units on my property. These are violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. Are we becoming a police state? Military-style soldiers pointing an automatic rifle at my head. How did we give the state this kind of power? Police state. Go to SalemNow.com to watch the trailer and pre-order the DVD. SalemNow.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we now go to Mark Costello. Mark, I wanted to ask you this. this, Thanks for showing up, by the way, on an emergency. But uh, let's talk about um, what you think of uh, China as it relates to Taiwan. And probably sometime in the next uh, five or ten years, we as a nation are going to have to deal with... uh, China, if they decide to invade Taiwan, what what do we do and what should we do? Yeah, I think this is a very crucial question. And, and unfortunately, our foreign policy has been somewhat incoherent in recent times. I don't think we have a, a clear, a clearly articulated foreign policy. So but I, I do think what you'd want uh, and we've made gestures towards this, which is a, a coalition based movement uh, in Asia to sort of stop um, China from, you know, taking further steps to to gain hegemony over the, the Asian uh, economy. It's going to, you know, it's a global powerhouse. It's, and so I, I think, for example, you know, we see what happens with the U.S. supporting Ukraine in this war, uh, this just war against the aggression by Putin, you know, invading Ukraine. 
But now we're kind of stuck in a quagmire of this land war, um, massive American resources being expended. So now we're at a point where militarily and diplomatically, we have to bring that conclusion, that conflict to a successful conclusion, or we're looking weak to China. And it does open the door for expansion into Taiwan, should they want to take that. And certainly the U.S. wouldn't want to be supporting, you know, providing defensive weaponry to Taiwan and Ukraine simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think, you know, we need a this is a good time for presidential politics to be thinking about what is that long-term foreign policy vision uh, to secure not just the southern border, as many candidates are talking about, but this international uh, instability that we're seeing. Judith Sherwin, with all the talk that Donald Trump and all the time he spends talking about himself and his legal problems, um, are you clear in your mind what Donald Trump's foreign policy would be like in a second administration? And how would he answer the question about whether or not we would go to war uh, with China if, 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 if Taiwan were invaded? And, well, how, and how we would resolve, as, as Mark just suggested, how would we resolve the situation in Ukraine? I mean, he, he doesn't like the war in Ukraine, but how, how do we as a nation get out of it? Well, first of all, the, the, if, you, if you want to know what Donald Trump's foreign policy is going to be like in a second term. It's going to be the same way it was in a first term. His, you know, it it wasn't necessarily, uh, I don't know, obvious to people. But what he did was he crippled, he crippled the ability of Russia to make war. He crippled the ability of the Iranians to make war because he took their money away from them. He wouldn't let people buy oil from them. That's very important. Russia has become very rich in the last couple of years. They have a lot of money to throw at this war. And the Iranians as well. Not only that, I mean, not only do people buy oil from them, we give them billions of dollars, which is, to me, is completely bizarre. So, yes, he would throttle them and put them in a position where they could not use this as an option. That's number one. And, and with respect to the situation in Ukraine, I mean, you know, wars don't just happen out of the blue, all right? Putin was promised by the United States and by the rest of Western Europe that NATO would not move an inch, okay, would not move into Ukraine, that wouldn't take Ukraine into NATO, all right? And, and they just kept pushing and they kept pushing and they kept pushing, all right? But but that did not happen during Donald Trump's watch. And it's not because he— But Ukraine was not, also promised something else, Judith. Ukraine was also promised that uh, that they would give up their nuclear weapons and their and all their armaments. Right. And that the United States and the world would, would take care of them. Well, th- taking care of them doesn't mean that they have them expand into Russia— I mean, you know, let's 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 take. Well, a they look didn't at that. expand to Russia. Russia expanded to them. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. NATO. Russia NATO in- no, no. Look, let's talk about NATO. NATO was created in during the Cold War and as a as a bulwark against communist Russia. There is no communist Russia anymore. One might say there's no reason for NATO. Excuse me anymore. But if you think there is a reason for NATO, that's fine. There is no reason. They told Putin. Putin took his. Who's they? They, NATO, Western Europe, 
and the United States got, and, and Zelensky ran on a peace platform that he was not going to go to war with Russia, that they were going to stay within their territory, within their situation. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to pick on the Russians who were living in these, in these eastern provinces and, and that, that he was going to agree to sign the accords that were put together before this war started, all right? You know, Russia took their troops away also. And then all of a sudden, you had people, let me finish, you had people like Virginia Newland, you had Boris Johnson, who was sent into Ukraine to, to talk Zelensky out of signing that agreement. I mean, these things have consequences. You can't make international agreements with another country and then just turn your back on it. So does what they did. So my question to you, does Donald Trump as president a second time, does he completely pull the plug on Ukraine? Does he say, obviously, there's a lot of Republicans that don't think there should be continued support of Ukraine or they want to tie it with their support, uh, whether they whether they should do that or not. I want to get Josh into this. Josh, what is your answer to, the, to that question as it relates to uh, you know, foreign I, as it relates to foreign aid? Because I would assume that a libertarian doesn't believe in foreign aid. Is that correct? You know, in the broad strokes, I think we try to avoid foreign aid as much as possible. Um, but one of the, my perspective on the issue, at least as it relates to NATO, is, is I think, very different um, than, than uh, what Judith has just articulated. Uh, you, know, let's, you know, let me put it this way. I mean, NATO is a defensive alliance, right? Um, NATO is not going out violently invading countries. Um, the only individual— No, it's provoking. It's provoking countries. Let's let them respond. So, I mean, NATO, NATO is a provoking force in the sense that me and my neighbor saying that I'm going to come, you know, help my neighbor if he gets invaded by an aggressive force. No, 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 no. They did more than that. Well, let's, come let on. Him fin- let's let them finish. Honest. Be honest. So no, I don't. I don't see NATO as a as a aggressive force. NATO doesn't invade countries. NATO is defensive, and I think that um, to to you know to think about it in the context of current geopolitics. NATO would not be necessary and the world would not be galvanized against Russia in this way if Russia wasn't aggressively invading her, you know, its neighbors. I mean, Russia invaded Georgia, Russia is now invading Ukraine, and Russia has basically been um, justifying NATO's existence for the last 20 years. And so I, I think in the current geopolitical climate, if, if Russia embraced um, a more free and open and, and, and libertarian foreign policy, then NATO would have no reason to exist. But the, the evidence of the last two years almost proves that NATO can't die uh, because of that. Um, I, that's at least my perspective. It's I, I wanna, not the full libertarian perspective, but that's where I stand. I, I want to switch gears and talk about another subject since we have a Republican and a Democrat here, and we also have a libertarian who can weigh in from their perspective. And that is, I want to talk about what the country will be like when we know the results of the presidential election year of 2024. Either, at least as of this moment, either Donald Trump is going to be president or he's not. My question to you is, and I'm going to start with you, uh, uh, Mark, the last time we had a presidential election where Donald Trump was the victor, the American electorate responded in such a way like like never before. I mean, half of America, or 48% of America, went nuts. They created a climate of fear and hatred and distrust of their neighbors and, and, and breaking family relationships and disrupting Thanksgiving and making sure that, that someone couldn't even wear a red MAGA hat. 
I mean, they would have been they they would have been so ostracized if they did that. They changed the way in which Americans react to elections. So my question to you is: First of all, would you acknowledge the the, the level of hatred and distrust, but primarily hatred, that came out of that first Trump victory? And what do you think would happen? if Trump is elected again in 2024, insofar as the general body politic is concerned? Boy, you know, you really set up a a ball there for me, Bruce. Um, You know, I don't know how much it's hatred as much as, I mean, certainly, yes, I I have to admit that, you know, what you said about the MAGA hats, and and there certainly was a, a public outcry against the Trump presidency, uh, unlike anything I've witnessed in my lifetime. You had a million um, people in, you had a million people in the streets the next day. Right. And you had, you had rioting, burning down uh, much of uh, uh, many liberal cities in the United States. But later. I would say that, you know, some of the fears were about policy. And here we are after a Trump presidency, we've got a Supreme Court where he picked three judges that are sitting on that Supreme Court. We've seen, you know, overturn of precedent. He's allowed to do that. Let's let him him finish. Right. We'll hear the Republican response in a minute. But, you know, so there was, people saw the writing on the wall and where that presidency could go. We saw, you know, people living in, you know, fenced in cages at the border and children separated from parents. There was a lot of policies that happened, not to say the border is a wonderland right now. It's certainly a problem, as we've discussed previously. But I think there's some justifiable fear of where those policies headed. And it's a different America today than it was when Trump took office, for better or for worse. When we come back, I'm going to let Judith Sherwin answer the same question. And then I'm going to ask Josh as a libertarian. Are we heading for another split of magnitude that we've never known before if Donald Trump is elected again as president of the United States? Don't go away. Don't miss the new movie by Dinesh D'Souza, Police State. We are freedom of religion and freedom. MAGA Republicans threaten the very foundation of our republic. Are we becoming a police state? The government is trying to crush the conservative movement, our society, and our freedoms. They define you as radical. How did we give the state this kind of power? If they're coming for me, they're coming for you. Police state. Buy it or stream it now at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill, wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit surroundchicago.com. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart 
which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce, we went back and uh, we go to our Republican, Judith Sherwin. And the question is, if Donald Trump should be reelected again, what will be the reaction of the American people? What, what will be the political climate now or in 2024? What would be different than what happened when he was first elected? Well, nothing would be different. If anything, it would probably be worse because people are, I mean, just listen to the kind of silliness that's going on right now. All right. Um, uh, Trump says something about the only thing he wants to dictate is on his first day in office, he wants to close the border and start to drill. So the next day, all over Twitter, Trump said he's going to be a dictator. Are you kidding me? Do you really think if somebody was going to be a dictator, they'd announce it on TV? This is absolute silliness. But people, and I'm not talking about Mark, I'm talking about other people, other people who you and I have talked about, Bruce, who were just, they, they, they are obsessed with Trump. They are obsessed with a narrative about Trump. They hate him for reasons that are past understanding, and, and they, they, they won't let there be peace. You're going to have something, again, like the, the Women's March with Madonna talking about burning down the White House. Is that okay? Does that maybe sound to you like an insurrection when they were running through Washington, breaking windows and, and beating up people on the day of the inauguration? That's really nice. You know, the, the truth is there are people who's, who want to whip up a very bad hatred in this country against their neighbors. You know, when Donald Trump says that they're not really after me, they're after you, the truth is there are people in this country who are after the other half of the people in this country, and they think that they are beneath their dignity, they are beneath their contempt, and as far as they're concerned, 
they they just want them to shut do up you and think, sit down. Do you think, though, that the winning side in this particular case, would they react the same way? In other words, the, the, the Trump fandom or, you know, the, the euphoria of the Trump supporters, they didn't really fight back against yeah. what was happening. But but now we know, based on the January 6th, Please. we know, just a second, we know there's a lot of people out there who really love Donald Trump. Right, they love and, and they too. And, and they will t- go to arms, not necessarily guns, but fists, certainly. They they will will they be willing to take it to the streets in opposition to what the Democrats or the progressives or liberals or communists would be doing? You know, I I don't look the the so called um, MAGA people yeah. have generally been peaceful. Okay, I don't want to get into the whole January sixth thing. I don't agree with the narrative about January sixth. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's it, it, there's a lot of stuff coming out about January 6th in spite of in spite of the Democrats and the major media trying to keep us from knowing anything about it. But I, I really don't want to get into it. I don't think the Republicans are going to take to the streets. If somebody attacks them physically, yeah, I think they may fight back, okay? But but um, I don't see I don't see um, that kind of violent reaction on the part of people who love Donald Trump. You don't get that same kind of reaction from people who love as opposed to people who just, they're geared up to okay. hate. I want to go I want to go to our libertarian and get uh, Josh to respond to that because Josh, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a young man, but you certainly lived through all of the turmoil that followed the presidential election back in 2016. Do you yeah. think the impact on the body politic is going to be as significant as it was then, or as some have suggested, as Judith has suggested, that she thinks it's possibly going to be worse. What's your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think I do think the reaction will be worse, and I think it's mainly due to the actions Trump took as president when he was, you know, when he had four years. What he did he do? Let, 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 no, he no, 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 let, let him finish. Judith, let him finish. Then we'll go back yeah. to you. Let him finish. I mean, what did he, he passed do? more gun control than any Demo- I'm telling you, he passed more gun control than any Democratic president in the last 20 years. He shut down the economy. He printed more money. He shut uh, down in, the in economy. A- do you remember the co- pandemic? Co- do you remember co- that he exactly. didn't shut it down? That that was done by people in Democratic yeah. states. What planet are you he, living he on? Attacked, he attacked governors like Ron DeSantis for trying to reopen too early. Finish. He printed half. Half the money in existence in the one-year period created the worst inflation in five decades, expanded welfare programs like Social Security, Do you Medicare, remember Medicaid, the pandemic? Do you remember the pandemic? Let's let him respond. I, oh, I remember the pandemic, and I remember how much he failed in his response to right, it. He, he printed more money, okay. created the worst okay, inflation in 20 years, and That's he attacked fine. governors like Ron DeSantis, who tried to reopen the government, rightfully so, and give people their freedoms back. But long story short, I think the one thing I'd say about Donald Trump, and the reason why it's such an emotionally charged thing for most people, is he tried to stop the peaceful pa- transfer of power, and he expresses continual disdain for the Constitution. He called to suspend the Constitution in 2020, and we, you know, we, we, we can... He never, he never did that. Let's let him respond. He said that I'm not making things up. You can read this. Okay, one second. Yes, you are. Josh, one second. Judith, to you. One second. Judith, 
And then we're going to go back to Josh. Judith? Yeah. First of all, you know, all, this thing, all the terrible things that Donald Trump did when he was president, you can't name any of them. This business about the pandemic, about about uh, the, the money that was spent to try to keep the country afloat. I mean, what in the world are you even talking about? All right. Nobody knew what was going on with this this disease which came over from China. Nobody knew how to deal with it. I think Trump did the best he could, all right? He had advisors. He had people that he had to try to listen to. And as time went on, he tried to reopen the economy. The places where this country— He did not. Yes, he did. Oh, come on. But he did not. You know, you're entitled to your opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts. And you're making up your own facts. I'm sorry, but you're making up your own stuff. Donald Trump if, was if, constantly if trying. Trump, one at a time. One at a time. Constantly one, trying. One second. Judith, go back. No, Joshua. He, he, no, 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 no. You be quiet now, and then we're going to go to Joshua, and then we'll come back to you. Joshua, you. go ahead. You know, it, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for Donald Trump, Anthony Fauci wouldn't have been in the White House. The policies and the advisors he surrounded himself with, he is responsible. Who Donald else Trump, did he have? He Who else did he have? Is responsible. Donald Trump is responsible for the actions he took as president. So Donald Trump is, is responsible he's for definitely, the worst He's definitely he's responsible. Yeah, he's, he's definitely responsible. responsible. There was no inflation when he left office. Gas prices he were... He printed half the money in existence from the period of 2020 to 2021, Judith. How can you not expect inflation to happen? From that period, he wanted to sign the stimulus checks. That's how much... You know, you're not a libertarian... You're a Biden Democrat. I, I, that's what you are. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. That is usually the that's report it. I hear from well, Adam. One second, that's one because second. that's what one you second. are. Okay. He okay. says he's a libertarian. I can tell you that I care about. No, it's not let's yeah, go to no, a I, Biden I, I Democrat. Let's go, to, let's go to a Biden Democrat. Okay. Uh, Mark, yeah. thank you for showing up. And this, we have this battle that's broken out between the conservative <laughs> and the libertarian. Uh, can the Democrat put some peace to this uh, discussion? I know whose side you know, this, you're on, but I mean, what's your yeah, reaction I, to this? This is, uh, we have yeah, people see accusing getting, a libertarian of being a here. Biden Democrat. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I, he, I can, he doesn't sound like a Biden Democrat to me since he's complaining about social programs <laughs> expending. But um, I do recall, though, that Trump did ask about suspending the Constitution. I remember that being reported anyway. So I think, you know, to that point that he had made. Um, but I guess the question really is what what does a second term of Trump look like or what reaction That's my would question. it generate? I guess we're kind of seeing that play out here tonight of uh, some heated response. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, the fact that we survived the Trump presidency, right? You know, there were all these foretellings of doom and destruction. Yeah. Well, despite whatever he did, machinations to prevent the peaceful transfer of power, it transferred. And we're still here and American democracy is strong. So I think, you know, people should sleep a little bit easy to know that our government, our democracy is strong. And there's the, you know, if you want to call it the deep state, but there's a certain inertia to the American bureaucracy and political system that, that provides some stability. Judith, uh, so your reaction I, to that? Uh, well, you know. Um, now that is the Biden Democrat, no, or he's I, a Democrat. I don't think no, he's a Biden Democrat. No, right? I don't think he's a Biden Democrat either, because I've heard him <laughs> talk before. There's not many of them. <laughs> no, well, please God. 
But but no, the truth is, um, Donald Trump um, is not trying to hurt democracy. That's the first thing. Um, the question of the peaceful transfer of power, there were a number of things that happened during the 2020 election that should never have happened. Absolutely never. You had election boards making up their own rules that were absolutely uh, against the policies of their legislatures. You had people. Uh, th there were a number of problems, none of which most people on the Democratic side of the ledger even want to know about because every time you start talking to them about it, they put their hands over their ears and, and, and start going, And no judge ruled in favor of Trump. That's not true. That's right. That's not true. In, in, who, who, where, where, where in did, Wisconsin. Where did Trump win a case? No, in Wisconsin, they won a couple of cases. They didn't have any effect on the election, but they did have a couple. They, they did win a couple of cases in the Supreme Court before before the election, which brought in a Democratic majority in Wisconsin. But the, the truth is that none of those cases ever actually got a fair hearing. You had, you had, it's too early, it's too late, we don't want to talk about it, nobody wanted to touch it. I get it, but he never, never had a chance. You may see him have a chance in the case in Washington, you're going to find out things about okay. the election you didn't want to look at. And people will be able to vote on it. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. We have callers, we'll hear from them when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates if you run or manage a local business today you're challenged like never before we get it and we want to help we're salem surround we're a full service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day night and everywhere they might be if you're a local business and want to see what salem surround can do for you visit surroundchicago.com remember to visit surroundchicago.com today don't miss the new movie by Dinesh D'Souza, Police State. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech! Migrant Republicans threaten the very foundation of our republic. Are we becoming a police state? The government is trying to crush the conservative movement, our society, and our freedoms. They define you as radical. How did we give the state this kind of power? If they're coming for me, they're coming for you. Police State. Buy it or stream it now at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. 
she could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we have an attorney. Uh, Judith Sherwin, you were saying uh, during the break that you don't think that Donald Trump uh, should testify. By the way, he's announced that he's not going to testify in the New York case, and you think that's a good idea, Absolutely. and that he should listen to his attorney more. Absolutely. You know, um, we were talking during the break. I'm a lawyer. I'm a trial lawyer. Donald Trump has to be the worst client in the universe, okay? Absolutely, because he, he just can't shut his mouth. And, and uh, I felt so sorry for, for his lawyer. She was uh, talking to the press. I mean, it's very unusual for a lawyer to come out and say, I told him not to testify and he won't listen to me. You know, and, and I'm, I'm glad he's finally listening because the last thing he should do on Monday is testify in front of this crazy I have, judge. I have a question. It seems to me, as a, as a layman, that he has violated his gag orders just by what I hear on TV. So my question to you is, could the judge hold him in contempt and He's send him to that. jail? Well, so there's there's different kinds of contempt, all right? There's, there's just civil contempt, which is, you know... Uh, there's civil contempt where you... You know, he, I mean, he got yelled at because somebody posted something that he retweeted about about that woman who sits next to the judge and tells yeah. him what to do. I, I've never seen anything like that, by the way. I've tried cases at other places. I've even tried a case in New York. I have never seen anybody do what she's been doing. Okay, I'm not under a gag order. There's something really weird about that. But but um, so the judges fined him twice. I think one's $5,000 and one fifteen. Then there's if criminal contempt. You could you could put him in jail. He hasn't risen to the level of criminal contempt, and and it's his gag order. He can pretty much say whatever he wants. I believe about the judge, he's just not allowed to say anything about the woman. The woman, and so he won't say anything about her. But but the gag order is is not clear, and it creates constitutional issues. Does he want? And he's also in under a heart. gag order from from the federal in court his too. in his heart. Yeah. Does he want to be sentenced to jail or prison to violate for violating a gag order? I don't. What think would so. that do to his presidential campaign? Well, listen. You know, this is a guy who took his mugshot and and blasted it, it across and put it on T-shirts and, and coffee cups. I mean, he's he has gained a great deal of sympathy by what is perceived by people who don't particularly previously have cared for him. He has gained a great deal of sympathy as they watch what's going on here. 
And there are a lot of people who don't feel that the government is on the up and up and that the justice system is on the up and up. And this is a prime example. There is well, something that's why we wrong could... with this. And I, well, if we, I could we come finish... back to our very first question. Well, if I could my, finish. Uh, but, but I just wanted to finish because we're, okay. we're running out of time. Okay. And I, I've, I've not I heard. I think it's the most important issue in this country, okay. what they are doing to our justice system. But here's my question. Because there have been nine accounts now of uh, charges against Hunter Biden, right. and Hunter Biden might go to prison, right. and there might be a trial for Hunter Biden, and exactly. Hunter Biden is going to be testifying before Congress. Uh, well, he's, be, he's not testifying be, before Congress. No, be, be, well, he's going to have— he's There's going no to have way his, that's his, happening, no. Okay, so my question is, is, is does this, in your view, Mark Casello— does this answer the question that if they're going after Hunter Biden, doesn't Donald Trump's charges against the Justice Department, are they diminished in some way? Um, I, I don't think so, because the, you know, this, I mean, I'm glad to see that Hunter Biden is finally being held to account for some of this behavior, because I know if the average American tried to evade even a small amount of their taxes, they, their wages would be garnished. They would be hunted down. And, and here, you know, we've got Hunter Biden riding off. Living in the White House. <laughs> I will just say that. Well, yeah. yeah so um, but I think it's no, it's that level of persecution of Donald Trump that it's it's beyond the pale. Uh, just so much vitriol, so much attack, so many prosecutions, so many charges. I don't think you can level that out. And and I I, I do think that. Trump has managed to leverage this very well to his advantage. I think he's got a really clear message. You know, he's just really hammering a couple talking points, which is like drill, baby drill. He's back to the Sarah Palin drill, baby drill. Mm -hmm. And he's going to close that border again. And that's it. That's that's his message. And it's so clear. And then they're after me, which means they're after you. Mm -hmm. It's such good rhetoric for the average American who feels that this country's not working for him. And then you've got Hunter Biden showing that there's a double standard in our system. Um, so it's really a bad time for Democrats. But if Hunter Biden is going to go, if, if Hunter Biden is going to go to trial, is there really a double system? I mean, if Hunter Biden, if the Justice Department, uh, his father's Justice Department indicts him, doesn't that indicate to some people that the Justice Department looks both ways? They look on both sides. They're letting oh. the, they're letting the they're letting the son of the president of the United States not get away with income tax evasion. Yeah, but look what they had to do to get to this. Well, but, point. but right. the point is, I mean, if he's in trial. I it mean, took it, a decade still, of kicking and screaming. If that if that yeah. judge hadn't questioned that stupid plea agreement, I never saw any. I mean, I've represented criminal defendants. I've never seen anything like that. That was just bizarre. Okay, if she hadn't questioned that, none of this would have ever happened. Okay, all right. So this one judge, very courageous judge. I mean, I know they have life appointments, but yeah. she questioned it, and that's. That's this David Weiss. He wasn't going to do anything. Okay. Now he had to do something. I'm just, I'm just asking the question. If he ends up in a court where we're covering his trial, like we're covering Donald Trump's trial, doesn't, doesn't the charge that Trump makes that the system is, 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 is against uh, Republicans and for 
Democrats, doesn't it make that case harder to prove in the court of public opinion? I don't that was my so. question at the I, beginning. I it's I, my question at the end. Yeah. Judith Sherwin, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Mark Costello, I thank you very much for joining us in hour number two. And uh, Josh Akel from uh, Students for Liberty, who joins us from Nashville, Tennessee, our libertarian. Thank you all for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to Fritz Goldman for his assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Chicago.